Well, good morning, Westside. Good morning, Peninsula Hope. <laughs> My name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm really excited to be uh, with you all this morning. When I was 15, I was in the 10th grade. I enrolled in a uh, evening biology class at a local community college. Now, the unique thing about this class was that uh, the professor dismissed us any time between the, the, uh, the time of 6.30 and 8 p.m. And as you can imagine, most people would be really excited when they'd be dismissed early. Everybody was happy to get into their cars, drive home, and have an early evening. Everybody was excited except me. And that's because, again, I was 15 years old. I didn't have a car. I didn't have a license. And so what that meant is I would have to walk around campus until my father or my dad or my mom would pick me up. And this campus, I won't name uh, the community college it is, uh, this campus uh, on West Los Angeles Community College, <laughs> it was not really well lit. And um, Kendall knows, my brother knows, we all went to West LA College. It's not well lit. And the library, I don't know if it's changed, Kendall, but it closes at 6 p.m. And so I would have to wait for a good hour for my father to pick me up. And I was scared. I was a skinny 15-year-old Asian kid amongst a lot of college students, a lot of, uh, amongst a lot of adults. Now, I was worried about my safety, but I was worried about one more thing. And as you all know, I am, I was, and I still am Chinese. And the Chinese way is that you save money, right? The Chinese proverb is that frugality is the best mentality. And so my father, he, he, uh, he knew about these, this Chinese proverb. He would brainwash me or train me to save money. And so we had this, what's called a family, Wong family bank. And essentially, I would gather all my cash that I would uh, receive from uh, Christmas, from my birthdays. I would hand it to him, and we would just have, you know when you go and you get checks? We don't get checks anymore. You would get those, like, bank deposit, uh, like, it helps you keep track and uh, notate the pluses and minus. That was our bank. And so uh, we would just add over time how much I would have in, in, in this bank. And my dad, he, he really incentivized us to save because the interest rate was 5%, which is high, right? That, that beats a lot of uh, high-yield savings accounts these days. And so the first of the month, I would always tally my interest and get the total amount and times it by 1.05. And so my relationship with my, my family was great. My relationship with my sister, my brother, with my friends were great. But I think my strongest and most consistent relationship was, it was with compound interest. <laughs> Me and compound interest got, got, got well, and I, I would pour into compound interest. He would pour back into me, and our, our, our relationship would just grow and grow and grow. And so, yes, I would want to go home early, or I want to get home safely, but I didn't want to pay any money to call my parents Tim, why don't, why don't you use your cell phone? I was 15, and I'm a little bit older. We didn't have cell phones back then. <laughs> cell phones were for, only, uh, for the rich and the wealthy back then. And so I didn't want to pay the 35 cents uh, each and every week that semester because that would ruin my relationship with compound interest. This was my dilemma. How do I get home safely, and how do I get home safely without banking, uh, breaking my bank account? Now, back up 2,000 years ago, there was a guy named Jesus. He also was faced with a dilemma. This dilemma was much more severe, much more significant. 
And his dilemma was that he was about to be betrayed and arrested and killed and suffer. He would suffer a death on the cross. And I want to talk about this next passage because in this passage, we find Jesus and he's praying right before all this happens. And I want you all to pay attention to what exactly he prays for. So it says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Now, right before he's about to be arrested, right before he's about to be uh, put on the cross, Jesus doesn't pray that God takes us away from him. Jesus doesn't pray that there would be justice. No, what he prays for, he, he prays for intimacy for all believers. He says, you know what we have, me and you, God, this oneness, this unity? I want that for all believers. I want them to have the same level of connection the same level of intimacy, the same level of affection that you and I have. Now let's pause for a moment because um, oftentimes, and I engage in this as well, we have a scarcity mentality, right? When we're in relationships with people, we think that, hey, I have a best friend. I don't want to share that relationship with others. I want others. I want to hoard it. I just want to invite that person because I don't want anybody else to be in a relationship with my best friend. But Jesus is not operating under the scarcity mentality. Instead, he's operating under an abundance mentality. He's saying, this love, this intimacy that I have with God, I want everybody to participate in it. Now let's pause for a moment and ask, do we have this intimacy with God, this oneness that Jesus is asking for all believers to have? The problem is, in in these verses, Yes, he um, explicates a desire, right, for intimacy between believers and God, but he doesn't necessarily give us a step-by-step manual of how that's done. I want to back up and, okay, there should have been a picture here of a payphone, okay? But just imagine a payphone. My father, he sat me down and he said, Tim, okay, I understand your dilemma. You want to get home safely and you want to maintain your relationship with compound interest. I understand that. Here's what you do. I have a plan. Grab your 35 cents. Once class is done, whether it's 6.30 or 8, eight, anytime in between, walk to the payphone, put in your 35 cents, make sure it rings two times, not three, but two times. Right before it hits the third, hang up, and you're going to get your change back. The money's going to spit right back out. Grab the money again, repeat the cycle. Put your money in, let it ring twice, but hang up before it hits a third time, and you get your money back. Now, Tim, here's what I'm going to hear on my end. I'm going to hear somebody call me. There's going to be two rings, and then they hang up. And then after 30 seconds or so, they're going to call again. I hear two rings, they hang up. That's my signal to me that, Tim, you're ready. Now, to most people, this sounds absurd, right? And this plan could short-circuit at any time. But I kid you not, that that semester was 15 weeks long. My class was Tuesday, Thursday. 
every single time I was picked up, I was safe, and my bank account was full. <laughs> now, my, my father, he, um, he said, you know what, Tim? This plan is going to work, I promise you. You can believe me. Trust me. And as his son, I did trust him. You know why? Because my dad had a history. My dad had a history of fulfilling every single promise that he made to me. My dad is um, good to his word, even to the point where when he makes a commitment about getting to a place on time, he's not going to be on time. He's going to be early. He's always like five minutes early. So to me, I knew my father was right. And to me, I wasn't surprised that every Tuesday and Thursday, I was picked up by my father. I hate to compare my dad to God and his relationship and God's relationship with Jesus, but I think there is something to say here where a lot of intimacy is based upon fulfilled promises. You see, I want to argue today that Jesus and his relationship with God, their intimacy was built on fulfilled promises. One can argue that the entire negative of Jesus' life is a man who filled God's promises. I want to show you a chart here. I know it's really hard to see. It's really small here. But on the left, woo, on the left is a list of all of God's promises. This next column is where the promise is listed in the Old Testament. And then this next column is when in the New Testament did Jesus fulfill that promise. So there are 44 promises that God made and 44 instances of when Jesus fulfilled that promise. So it's hard to go line by line, but I just want to highlight a few. God promises that the Messiah would come from the line of Abraham. Jesus fulfilled the promise that he would spend a season in Egypt. Jesus fulfilled the promise that he would be rejected by his own people, that he would bring light to Galilee, that he would heal the brokenhearted, that he would be crucified with criminals. Jesus fulfilled the promise that his hands and feet would be pierced. Jesus fulfilled the promise that he would resurrect from the dead, that the Messiah would be sacrificed for sin. Now, Paul, in his letter to Corinth, he summed this up best when he said, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so we see this dynamic where Jesus and God, they have a covenant-keeping relationship. And their fulfilled promises, they lead to increased trust. And we all know that with increased trust, that can lead to a lot of connection and intimacy with others. This is exactly what God or John, I'm sorry, Jesus is praying in John 17. He's saying, you know, that oneness, that unity that I have with you, that's based upon our covenant-keeping relationship. That's based upon us keeping our promises to one another. Now, how about you? Do you feel like you have this dynamic with God right now? I think many of us would say, yeah, maybe we do in our head but maybe in our hearts we don't. I think the first thing we need to understand is what are God's promises to us? Scholars have said that there are approximately 7,000 promises in the Bible that God makes to us. That's too many to cover right now, but I want to categorize those 7,000 promises into four main promises that God has to us. The first is that God is always with me. The second is that God is always in control. Third is God is always good. 
And the fourth is that God loves me. Do we believe this in our hearts? These four promises. I feel that many of us know that this is accurate, that this is true, but viscerally and in our hearts and experientially, we don't believe these things. That there's a distance in our relationship with God because we don't feel that God is good. We don't feel that God's always in control. We don't feel that God is always with us. See, here's what we often believe. Here's the ideal on the left, right? Which is Jesus and God's relationship. But here's the reality. We've experienced a lot of broken promises in this life. And this has led us to a state of distrust and disconnection with others. We all know these stats, but uh, the last two presidencies, President Trump, President uh, Obama, combined their promises together. You know how many promises they fulfilled? 52%. Now, these are our leaders, people we're supposed to trust. These are our models, right? And that just shows you that we live in a culture where we're immune to broken promises. Many industries in our world is based upon um, people breaking promises. You think about family law. You think about how much money is poured into prenups or prenuptial agreements. We think about reality television. A lot of reality television is based upon the premise of people betraying one another. I had a friend, a very close friend in high school. I'll use a pseudonym by the name of uh, Jack. I had a friend, Jack. He and I were really close, very close friends. Jack and myself had a mutual friend named Sally. I told Jack something about Sally, and I said, you know what, Jack, please just don't tell any, anything to Sally. Um, this is really sensitive information. Please don't let that out. And Jack said, you have my word. I, I, I won't say anything to Sally. Two weeks later, I get a call from Sally herself, and she said, Tim, why did you say this about me? Broken promises led, to me, led me to experience of distrust with Jack, and even to this day, I feel very disconnected with Jack. I don't trust him. Many of you know um, that I've been experiencing pain in my wrist. The first doctor that I saw, uh, he said, you know what, Tim, uh, you can believe me. Six, week of, six weeks of PT, six weeks of OT, come back, you'll be just fine. That wasn't really a promise. It was a strong statement, and it could have been deemed a commitment. I did my six weeks of uh, PTOT. I was back. Nothing was, was uh, everything was the same. Nothing was different. Led to distrust in the physician that I had, and I didn't, I didn't go back to him because I don't think that his recommend, recommendations were good. How about you? How many uh, promises have been broken in your life? Maybe you grew up in a family where your parents weren't able to um, maintain their marriage vows. And maybe they separated and they were divorced, and that was a broken promise in their life. Or maybe they stayed married, but they had a loveless marriage, and you're experiencing the negative consequences associated with that. Maybe you yourself have had a promise with your own husband, wife, partner, and you feel like they've broken your promise in some way.
I think these promises, they don't have to be explicitly made, right? It doesn't have to be contractual. It doesn't have to, when, we're, when we're married, there's an explicit promise, um, these vows that are exchanged amongst witnesses. I think there are also what's called implicit promises, where there are implicit promises inherent in some relationships. For example, the parent and child relationship, I think the implicit promise there is that the parent will provide for basic needs of the kid. Safety, shelter, food. Maybe some of you grew up in an environment where your, your father, your mother abandoned you. And that was a, the broken promise. Or maybe they were still present in your life, but they're just emotionally remote and devoid. They're not really there with you whenever you hang out. Maybe some of you have been hurt by pastors. And if you guys have been hurt by pastors, please let us know. We're broken people, and we want to make sure that we know how we've hurt you. Maybe you've been hurt by pastors, our conference, people in leadership, people in the church. And that's the most confusing, right? When you are hurt by people who should be followers of Christ. Maybe some of you have been hurt by employers. You have a promise of a raise or a promise of a title pump. It never came or it came later than they promised. See, we've become immune to broken promises, and because of that, we've become disillusioned. We project that onto God and believe that God doesn't fulfill his promises with us. I believe that one reason our culture, our society, continues to engage in broken promises is that there's a low cost to breaking promises. There's not much consequences to breaking promises. Back in Jesus' day, things were different. There was something called a blood covenant. What would happen is once the promises were agreed upon, the two parties would then get some animals, cut them in half, and put those animals on either side to form a row. Once these animals were um, in half on left and right, then both of them would walk through the covenant, stating, basically, that if I were to renege or break this promise, I'm just going to be just like these animals to the left and my right. I will die and be cut into pieces, just like these animals. Uh, Imagine if that was the agreement today. Imagine if uh, when we say, hey, you know what, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll make it to your graduation on time. Let me, let me walk through the blood covenant. You know what, when I, um, I'll, I'll commit to giving you that raise in a week. Let me make sure that I, I walk this covenant. Wouldn't our life be so much different? Wouldn't society change? But yet we become disillusioned. We, we become so uh, disappointed by people breaking our promises, and we have unfairly uh, projected that onto God. There is a man named Abram in the Bible. Many of you know him. He was in a state of disillusionment and disappointment as well. So we find him here in Genesis 15. And it states, But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. 
Abram has accumulated wealth and property, and he is saying, God, my wife and I, we're barren. We can't have a child. I become disillusioned because this is, I feel, not being fulfilled. And you can hear his disappointment in these scriptures. And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. The Lord took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars. <clears throat> if indeed you can count them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. But Abram, but Abram said, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? You can still hear the doubt, even after God says that your descendants will be as numerous as the stars. So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged them, the halves, opposite each other. And when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. See, look at the words highlighted in blue. It says the Lord made a covenant. It doesn't say Abram made a covenant. It doesn't say the Lord and Abram together made a covenant. It said the Lord made a covenant with Abram. See, God showed up. And in fact, he waited until it was dark so that he can show up and manifest in the form of a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch, pretty much saying to everybody around, everybody be my witnesses and show everybody see that I am walking the path of this blood covenant, that if I renege on this promise, I'm going to be just like one of these animals split in half, just like one of these carcasses. God made this covenant to Abram. See, because of our disillusionment, because of our disappointment, I think we forget God's promises to us. We forget that he's good. We forget that he's always with us. But yet in the back of our minds and in the background, God is walking these covenants and he's saying, he's saying, Steve, I'm always with you. He's saying, Larry, I'm always good. He's saying, Brent, I love you. There's nothing that you have to do to prove yourself. And yet we can't hear it because of all the noise. Because all the ways that we ourselves have been broken. We've been through a harsh period. We still go through a harsh period with a pandemic where people's lives have been lost. I'm sure many of you all have family and friends who've um, passed away. And even if life wasn't at stake, uh, we've also had consequences of being a little bit more remote from people. Maybe some of us have lost jobs or have been laid off. I know many of you have been hurt by the war in Ukraine. And many of you are really hurt by innocent lives being lost within schools. In churches, um, against racial groups. And it's hard to believe that God is good in this culture. And yet God is in the background. He's saying, listen to me. I am walking this blood covenant with you. Please don't hear or don't believe all the noise. That's a broken promise. This is a broken people. I am faithful to you. 
I will always be with you. I love you. Today, we have the opportunity to um, participate in a, a blood covenant. And after I am, um, after I wrap us up in prayer, I want to encourage you all to just uh, take some time to reflect upon uh, these two questions. The first being is, which of God's promises is God prompting you to reflect upon today? Maybe it's a promise that God is always with me. Maybe you don't believe that God's presence is, is true. Maybe you, you doubt um, his accompaniment. Maybe what you go to places and you just feel like you're alone. Maybe it's you don't believe that God is in control. And so because of that, you engage in activities where you're just hyper-controlling. You're always on top of tasks. Uh, this is me. I don't always feel like God is in control. And so what I do is I try to take control of my own life. I make sure things are planned out financially uh, with my family. This is, this is one area where I don't feel that God is going to um, hold my promise or hold his promise. Maybe, maybe you don't feel that God is good. Inherently, you don't believe in his character. Or maybe you don't feel that God loves you. Perhaps you have some insecurities and you feel deep down inside unlovable. And so to compensate for that, you sort of present a facade to others that's more, that you feel is more accepting. Which of God's promises is, is God prompting you to reflect upon today? Yes, we feel closer to those who keep our promises, who keep their promises to us, but we often overlook the fact that we feel closer to those with whom we've kept our promises to. And so that's what the second question is getting at. Is God inviting you to make promises to God today, this morning? Maybe you um, feel detached from your spouse and you wanted to make a commitment. I, I wanna be more invested. I wanna go on more dates. I wanna be a better listener to my spouse. I wanna commit that to you today. Maybe you want to be more committed in uh, your work or maybe committed to your friends. What promise is God inviting you to make to God? So reflect upon these two questions. And when you're ready, please come up to that, that TV tray over there. The questions are also placed on um, the paper. Just write down your responses. And when you're done, fold up the paper, walk this blood covenant, and... Just throw the paper, piece of paper in that bucket. Now, after you do that, I want to strongly encourage you to receive prayer. Our prayer team is here to bless you. Our prayer team is here to, to provide comfort. You don't have to share what you wrote down on the, on the piece of paper. You can just say to the person who, who's praying for you, just pray for me. I just need to be blessed. They'll be near this tree, so please be encouraged to receive prayer. Westlife Peninsula Hope, be, please be encouraged that our God will fulfill your promises, that our God is with us. Yes, we've experienced hurt, and I don't want to overlook the fact that we've been hurt by many in our family, many in our friends from broken promises. But know that God wants to turn our disillusionment to hope. He wants to bless us and to know and to say that his promises are good. Please pray with me.